I think that's where in a DevOps kind of model where developers are responsible for their own little service, this is where security teams can be really helpful by providing just these reasonable defaults and self-service systems so that developers don't have to be security experts to effectively handle security for themselves. Welcome to All Aboard, a podcast brought to you by Conductor One. All Aboard is a show designed to equip security and IT pros with the knowledge, tools, and practical advice to keep their teams secure and productive. In each episode, we'll be joined by industry leaders, experts, and innovators. They'll share their tips and insights for tackling the toughest problems facing IT and security teams today. So sit back, relax, and join us on the ride. All Aboard. I'm your host, Alex Bovey, CEO and co-founder at Conductor One. For this week's episode, we're chatting with Travis O'Peak. Travis is the CEO and co-founder at Resourcely, a startup that enables engineers to self-serve provision cloud infrastructure resources that are secure and compliant by default. Travis is a security leader with over a decade of experience working at phenomenal companies like Netflix and Databricks. At both companies, he partnered with engineering teams to help them leverage cloud infrastructure in a way that avoids creating security vulnerabilities or compliance issues. In this episode, Travis and I chat about the shift left movement, the problem with using ticketing systems to drive security remediation, and his advice on how security teams can best empower developers. You won't want to miss this show. Let's get right into it. Travis, thanks for joining today. Appreciate it. Appreciate your time. Awesome to see you. Yeah, definitely. Looking looking forward to shooting it with you. Um, so uh, a couple questions for you. Um, the first one was, uh, first of all, I was really intrigued by what you guys are working, at resource, working on at Resourcely. Maybe you can tell me a little bit about uh, how did you bump into this problem and um, how did you decide to work on it? Yeah. So this is something that was born out of experience at Netflix, being responsible in cloud security like we were for developers using cloud resources effectively. What we found is that this stuff's really complex and developers have a lot on their plate. They don't want to have to figure out what are the 75 properties of an S3 bucket that they need to use. And so what we saw is that as a central team, we could help them by guiding them through the, the bucket creation process. And, and the downside of that, of course, is that now we slow them down. They have to wait for us. And then also we end up buried in ops. So the, the initial idea was at the time we were using Spinnaker at Netflix. And my idea was, wouldn't it be cool if they could just go into Spinnaker and get S3 buckets? I talked to the Spinnaker team. They didn't, it didn't fit their vision for the project. And so I kind of just put it aside and moved on. Uh, but it, it was always there in the back of my mind. You know, Meanwhile, we created a Slack bot that somebody can go and get an S3 bucket. Our sister teams created other kind of self-service things for their resources. And so it was this, this piecemeal thing. And I realized at Databricks that we had the exact same problem. And then I talked to a bunch of friends and they had the same problem. And I thought, okay, there's like definitely open space here. Um, so I just had to, had to go after it. Yeah. It makes a ton of sense. I feel like the biggest indicator of whether or not uh, there's like a, a big opportunity there is are medium to big tech companies like solving this problem in the exact same way across like the exact same tech companies. Did you see, I'm curious, like, did you see a lot of people like building that same kind of tooling or like tooling to automate that process internally? Yeah, totally. That's that's definitely something that I look for, you know, I mean, in starting the company, but also as, a, as an angel investor. And yeah, it turns out that today what a lot of companies do is they'll have a collection of Terraform modules that they put in front of developers. The Terraform modules have simple inputs and abstract away a lot of the complexity of Terraform. So you don't have to deal with it. Of course, this problem is not specific to Terraform. It's just a tool that a lot of companies happen to be using. 
but yeah, this this approach of having modules starts to break down. So the way to, the way modules work, it needs to presuppose every possible input that you have. And if if a developer needs some input into a module that isn't in the module, then you need to create a copy of it and do one-off edits. And so, yeah, many companies had gone down this path. Many companies had gone down the path of building self-service, so some kind of a portal that developers could come to to get what they needed. But you know, our our feeling is that uh, companies should be spending R and D time working on problems that are specific to their business, not reinventing the wheel in terms of how developers use the cloud. So I think that's a big opportunity to take a load off their plate so that their developers can work on things that are business specific. Yeah, it totally makes sense. And I'm curious, um, maybe that maybe you've got a spicy take on this one, but why not just like, why not just create like a ticket for it? Like why can't, uh, why can't developers just create a ticket and throw it over the wall to someone to, uh, to get them to provision that S3 bucket? Totally. Yeah. So, I mean, this is what a lot of uh, companies actually do is if you want an S3 bucket, you cut a ticket, you maybe wait a few days, a few weeks. You know, I think I think tickets, um, particularly in security, are sort of sometimes where the boundary ends a little too early. So as an example, many security teams, they're like, oh, you know, our scanner, a scanner found something like here's a JIRA ticket and like, you know, work's done. Like in, in reality, our job in security is to minimize risk. And so this create a JIRA ticket and call it a day thing doesn't do any any good for anybody. What we end up doing is burying developers in a bunch of work, some of which makes sense for them, some doesn't, that they're never going to do. And, you know, as an industry, we, we're not good at vuln management. So we fall behind in that regard. I think the in terms of getting a central team to help you create infrastructure, it's fine. Like you need some way to tell this central team that you have work for them. Um, where I think it falls down is a developer shouldn't have to wait days or I hear sometimes weeks for a central team to get around to helping them. You know, they're, they're trying to build their application that whole time. They need to context switch and go work on something else. Um, so they end up blocked and the, the central teams that are on the other end of these tickets hate it. You know, I've, we did this at Netflix. We didn't use a ticket system, but we had, before we had self-service, we had come into the Slack channel and ask for it. And then we end up feeling like the IT help desk which, you know, wasn't the best yeah. use of our time. Like we want to help developers, but we ended up kind of doing this commodity stuff that wasn't adding much value for us or them. So I think self-service is the way to go if you can get there. Yeah, it's, it's brutal. I, f- I feel like the um, the kick in the ticket over the wall is like the, it's like the modern day, like fixed it and then moved on. But like the reality is um, it, it feels like punting the problem, but not actually addressing the issue. So on that note, actually, one of the, the things I was really fascinated about when we were talking about your business is it feels very aligned to this, this concept of like shifting left. So taking something that was, you know, maybe like a detection problem, kind of, uh, kicking that over the wall as like a ticket into some, someone else's queue to solve the problem, actually like moving that problem back to the, the, the story, like enabling the people who, um, are best positioned to actually prevent that from becoming an issue, um, getting them the guardrails and the tools and the automation to kind of solve that upstream. Like, does that resonate with you? I'm kind of curious to how you think about that that shift left movement in terms of what resource is working on. Totally, yeah. So there's there's kind of two bits, and you know, in security, we we have the desire to shift left because I think everyone recognizes that the later that you discover a vulnerability, the more expensive it is to fix. So if you're, for example, you you just shipped insecure configuration, now you're in cloud security posture management land. You can scan it and discover it, and then try and identify the owner and cut them a ticket and hope that they fix it. Uh, and then there's people don't like that as much. It's expensive. It's slow. It's not a great way to be finding out about vulnerabilities. And so we've integrated now into CI processes 
where the some kind of a linter will come and tell you you have issues, you need to go fix it. I think this is a much better approach. Uh, one of the issues here is that linters can be prone to false positives, so it will tell developers about some real issues and some not issues. People can learn to ignore a linter if it's not properly configured. You know, a long time ago, I spent time on working on Bandit. Bandit is a Python security linter, and it would find some really good issues, but you'd have to very carefully tune the rule packs to make sure that it's showing you the right stuff dependent on the context you're doing. And I think same thing goes to infrastructure. What makes sense for uh, something that for your marketing site, if you're trying to actually host a public marketing site in S3, you wouldn't want a linter to come and tell you, hey, it's open to the world. Like, of course, it's open to the world. Um, so, so yeah, that's one bit. And then the, the other bit is shifting left in terms of the developer shouldn't have to, we're kind of like shifting left the developer experience too. So instead of having to go wait for an expert to come and help them, what we're doing with the company is basically giving that to them at their fingertips. So giving them strong guidance around how to use these properties to get done whatever they're trying to get done. We want to put an end to developers really having to learn the complexity of cloud resources, all of the settings, uh, all of your company's policies, like all of that should be solved for them. They should just get a simple interface that guides them to pick the right properties as they're creating a resource. Yeah. I feel like um, the themes here of democratization, self-service, automation, policy-driven guardrails, I feel like that is that is like the that is like the theme of the next decade, it seems like. It feels like we really we moved to this world of kind of central command and control. Everything's a help, everything's a ticket or a help desk ticket, like siloed organizations. Um, and we just we need to move to, you know, more enabled teams actually able to to get the work done that they need to get done, um, you know, in a timely fashion, as automated as possible with guardrails on, so to speak. I really like the the platform engineering type movement. So, you know, one of the things at Netflix, we were a, a DevOps shop and like a true DevOps shop. And what that meant to us is that developers are responsible for writing their code, testing it, keeping it up and running, you know, making their, making sure their service stays healthy, responding in the middle of the night when it breaks, um, security, all of this kind of stuff. And so in, a, in that kind of a model, what a central team does is provide really powerful tooling that makes them get best practices without having to worry about it. And this isn't only security. So an example of this is Spinnaker. Spinnaker makes deployments really easy. It gives you all of these best practices like red black deployments and failover and load balancers and all of this stuff is just provided for you for free. So you press a button and you say, I want an app. I want to go get deployed in the cloud. Spinnaker will set up most of the infrastructure you need to do that correctly. Uh, another team, Observability, basically had these really great logging and monitoring and alerting tools built in. So you as an app developer, you could just integrate that and you would get all this stuff set up for free. I think that's where in, in a DevOps kind of model where developers are responsible for their own little service, this is where security teams can be really helpful by providing just these reasonable defaults and self-service systems so that developers don't have to be security experts to effectively handle security for themselves. Yeah, totally makes sense. So I got I to gotta get your one last spicy take. Um, how do you feel about alerts? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so <clears throat> so alerts, you know, you need to have them. You shouldn't turn off all alerts. That's not a good position to be in. I think at the point where you end up, you know, with like thousands of alerts, unless, I mean, some companies can afford to have a very well-staffed SOC that is going to field through all the alerts. But in practice, that's not what we're seeing. I think Home Depot or one of those breaches, you know, they had the alert in the SOC and they they snoozed it because it was too noisy. We see that kind of stuff all the time. Um, particularly if you don't have a SOC, you know, my team in, in Netflix was responsible for responding to cloud security events. 
And so if, if you're dealing with hundreds of something, it's infeasible to actually figure out if that's noise or not. So at a minimum, alerts need to have really actionable context with them. So, you know, what's going on? Why does it seem anomalous? Uh, what is the usual action and playbook I would take and things like that? But, you know, these should be in the small numbers. Otherwise, people just learn to ignore it. Um, there's some principle in med medicine where basically, you know, there's um, like hospital monitors. Uh, so many of those things go off just for, for no reason that basically nurses were learning to just press snooze. And now you might as well not have that thing. If, you, if nurses just auto press the snooze button, you're not getting any benefit from it. So that same principle applies across security. If, if basically you see an alert and your first reaction is to snooze it, something is broken and we need to like reevaluate and say like, okay, pretend like we have no alerts now because we're not able to effectively action them and get back to a spot where the high fidelity things are coming back to our attention. Yeah. Makes sense. I, I feel like, um, there's a lot of analogies here, but it's like, yeah, if, if everything's an alert, nothing's an alert, so to speak, you know, if everything's exactly. like supposed to be like grabbing your attention, it's like the reality is you're not paying attention to it. Um, yeah, we just 100%. anecdotally internal, we, we, as we sort of have a philosophy, uh, internally a conductor one or off channel, we get alerts from Datadog, but the team actively triages those and fixes issues so that those alerts are not alerts unless they're actually like errors or bugs or like panics or something like that. So we're, it's like a, it's a, totally. you got to constantly on like reducing the alerting. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. I think a good KPI there is, you know, what, what is your time to respond to alerts and then what percent of alerts did you end up taking an action on? And, you know, a good way if you're a team fielding these things is like actually dump them in your Slack channel. And so if it's noisy, then people are going to be incentivized, like, okay, get this stuff out of here. Uh, if you if you end up in a place where it's like every time an alert comes in, you're taking an action, then at least it's a good alert. Now you can start working towards automating the action that you're taking. Uh, if you're in a spot where like alerts come in and they just scroll by and nobody pays attention to it, then time to revisit. Yeah, totally makes sense. Well, wrapping it up, Travis, um, I really appreciate your time. It's awesome getting a chance to chat with you. The problem that you guys are working on resonates with me in a deep visceral way because uh, at my previous employer uh it took over six months for one of the teams to get an s3 bucket so i know that that is like a very real problem and i've seen that pain firsthand it's kind of brutal um so yeah looking forward to seeing what you guys do at resourcely and uh, rooting for you i've heard that a lot yeah that, that like long long time to get resources provision we would love to solve that thank you thanks for the time thanks for tuning in this episode of all aboard is brought to you by the team at conductor one we'd love to hear your feedback send us a message at allaboard at conductor1.com. Till next time.